we're honest this morning, the weights of life, the burdens of life, man, they're real. And all of us have weights and burdens that we carry in some way, some form or fashion. And they're real to life. And Christ, though, has come so that we could be set free from the burdens, spiritual burdens, from the daily burdens. And he has come for that reason, so that we would not hold on to those burdens any longer, but let him go. And sometimes that's a lot easier said than done. Sometimes to let go is, is hard. Sometimes to not pick up that burden again is hard. And so scripture calls us as the body of Christ, as the family of Christ, to help others when it comes to burdens. To help others have the strength to let go of things. For sometimes we, we can't do it on our own. We, we can't get through bearing a burden by ourselves. And we need that helping hand that comes along, that word of counsel, that word of warning, maybe that word of correction, even a word of confrontation to help us let go of a burden that has a hold of us. And so this morning, what, what I want you to hear from the scripture, from God's word is this, that as Christians, yes, we are burden free, but not exactly. Yes, we are burden free from the penalty of sin, which is death, and the power of sin, and the tight grip of Satan that he once held on us. But we still carry the weight of maybe past sins that still creep in our thoughts. Maybe the weight of habits that, man, we can't let go of. But there is help. Yes, there's help with Jesus. And Jesus has his assistant coaches. Jesus has his workmen and workwomen that he has placed here on earth to come alongside others and to help them. And that's the church. And as the church, we have a joyful, a glad burden that you and I are to bear, that we're going to hear about this morning, and it is to come alongside others and bear their burdens to help them. And so this morning, if you would, turn to Galatians 6, chapter 1, and that's what Paul is going to encourage us with this morning as we seek to live free, as we've been set free by the grace of God. You and I are called to help others. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, brethren, or maybe your translation says, brothers and sisters, it, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. I want you to look at the first word, or maybe in your translation, the first couple of words there in verse 1. It says brethren, or it says brothers and sisters. The term there carries with it the idea of family. 
that there is a people that are family, they're brothers and sisters, they're linked together by a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're united as the body of Christ. They're united as family members, not by anything physical, but specifically by their spiritual beliefs in Jesus Christ. And so whether they're a Christian in northern Iraq this morning, they're facing the threat and experiencing the threat of ISIS, or whether they're a Christian in Africa or India this morning or here in Carrollton sitting in a pew, we're all linked together as family. And Paul comes this morning and he says, brethren, he says, church, men and women who have that common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your family. You're to do life together. And as family members, we have responsibilities to one another. And this morning we're going to hear to help one another. But there's something that marks the family members. There's something that marks the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And it's this one thing that they have had their biggest burden born for them. They've had their biggest burden taken and carried and shouldered by somebody else. You see, it's the common link they have. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these words in verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, burden laden, And I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, that invitation is for all to come and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those who are the brethren, those who are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that is our story. We have had the the spiritual burden of spiritual bankruptcy and spiritual poverty released and lifted from our shoulders. And Jesus has shouldered it himself. As 1 Peter 2.24 says that he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. We hold that in common. We know what the rest is this morning. That Jesus gives to those who are weary and heavy laden. The Mosaic law does not weigh us down anymore and say conviction, conviction, guilt, and shame. But instead, we've been set free from that, and now we have a new yoke. This new yoke, instead of the law of Moses, is now the law of Jesus Christ. It's now the yoke of discipleship. It's the yoke of a new relationship that we have with Christ, and it says here that Jesus' yoke is easy. It's not this idea of an easy button, all right, where we can just go and push and say, well, this is just going to be easy and go away and all that. No, it, it's easy in the sense that we are weak, but he is strong. It, it's easy in the sense that I can be weak because I am weak, but I trust him who is strong. And not only is the yoke easy, but the burden is light, is light, unlike the burden of the law, which is heavy and lifeless. Now, I have this burden that is full of life, full of joy, and I gladly bear it with much joy. 
And so this yoke and this burden that the brethren have is one of a relationship with Jesus. They're free from what they hate, which is now sin, and we're free for what now we love, which is Jesus, our first love. And we're free from corruption and its power over us, and now we're free to share the likeness of God. And what Paul has been saying in Galatians chapter 5, right before this section, is that you're free because you have the presence of God living inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit. And now you can walk by the Spirit. You can live according to the Spirit. And you can have the likeness of God in you because of the Spirit of God. You can have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And there is no law against that. Meaning this, you can be endless in those things. There's no boundaries to those things. You're set free to live those things out with as much gusto as you want. And that's what you and I, as the brethren, we have. Not in some theory, not some mystical thing, but in a practical daily living that we can live out the likeness of God because if we live by the Spirit, we also should walk by the Spirit. Not just say we're alive because of the Spirit in us, but not only that, we can now live it out daily in real life situations. That's who the brethren are. The brokenness of spiritual poverty, is they've been released from that. And they're now free. They're free with a new responsibility, a new call, a new way of living. And that's what Paul says as we look again at verse 1 and we add verse 2. Listen to what Paul says. Brethren, if anyone is caught in trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will be, uh, not be tempted. And then he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. As the church we're free to lovingly serve one another. We are the one another community. We're a community that is to love one another and care for one another. As the church, we are to have the same attitude as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.24. He says, we are workers, all of us, with you. So we're working together for what? For joy. I'm preaching this morning for your joy. Isabel this week is going to be Handling administration and operations and pastoring and, and doing things for what? For your joy. The elders give oversight to this body for what purpose and what reason? For your joy. The staff and children and all the volunteers this morning that are on knees and, and on their bottoms this morning hanging out with your kiddos who are snotty nosed and, and all that this morning. <laughs> and jacked up on donuts, right? <laughs> Some of you did that this morning. You know, they are serving your kiddos to what end? For joy. For their joy and your joy as parents. The worship band, as they come up this morning, they lead and sing songs, not to be on a stage, but they've got your joy in mind because they want you to experience the joy of worshiping the God of creation. Say, so they got your joy in mind. We are working alongside each other and for other, others as a family with the greatest joy in mind. And we want the flow of joy and peace and goodness that comes from God alone to freely move in the family without being impeded. 
And so here's the question, well, what does that look like? What, what, is, what does that look like so that when things happen in life that our joy doesn't get crushed and we don't get devastated and we don't throw in the towel? What does that kind of living together as a family, what is it supposed to look like? And so I think the first thing that we see here this morning is family help each other. We're a helping family, helping others with burdens. You see, what Paul lays out here in verse 2 is a responsibility, a joyous one, that you and I as family members have this morning. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to help one another. Someone who's weighed down by some burden, we're to be alert and do something to help them bear that burden. So it doesn't crush them, so it doesn't destroy them, but instead we come alongside and we help make that burden lighter. And that burden, it could be sickness, it could be unemployment, it could be a loss of a loved one, it could be loneliness, it could be rejection. A burden can be anything that crushes the joy of one's faith, which could be a tragedy that makes one doubt the goodness of God. And we're to come alongside those who are going through such and, and help them, make their burden lighter. And specifically, Paul, though, says here that we're to come alongside and help those who are caught in any trespass. Any trespass. I think first and foremost, Paul has in mind that, that this person caught in a trespass is, is a fellow brother and sister. I think first and foremost, that's in mind here. But the language here where he says anyone caught in any trespass, I think also carries with it that we are to carry the gospel to those who are caught in sin. And so it also carries with it, there, there, I think there's an evangelistic element here as well, that we've got to be mindful of that, of holding out the gospel. But specifically, I think especially to those that we're doing life with as a family of, uh, of the body of Christ, if we see someone who's caught in sin, we're to help them. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be caught in sin? You ever taken a, a walk and you're just, man, you're just walking, but you're, I mean, you're walking with maybe some, a pace to it, but, but you're just walking down a path and maybe it's a running path or a jogging path that you're on and all of a sudden you have a runner come up beside you and, and, and pass you, you know, and, and, and maybe it startles you a little bit. The idea of being caught in a trespass and sin is that idea, that, that you're a walker and all of a sudden you have this runner overtake you and move past you. And it kind of startles you. And that's the idea that Paul has, is that this is a person that's been overcome by a sin. And it has startled them. It has kind of surprised them a little bit that they've gone that far or they've gotten that deep into it. And they wake up and they realize, whoa, that has a hold of me. That has overtaken me. It's the idea that someone has gotten so deep in a sin that they've been overtaken by it and they don't know how to get out. They've been crushed by this burden. Their joy is sapped. Their faith is fading. And sin is threatening to drag them down a path of guilt and judgment that they, say they can't on their own get out of. And so Paul says, that we've got to come alongside someone like that. We've got to come alongside and, and help them. And when we do that, it says we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Because the law of Christ is summed up simply by loving one another, treating 
a neighbor, treating someone else as you want to be treated with great love. And what are we supposed to do? Paul says here, we come alongside them, we restore such a one. What does restore mean? Restore simply means this. It means to come alongside someone and help somebody stand on his or her own feet. Where they couldn't stood before, stand before, now you're helping them up in life. To help someone get things right, to get things in order. It's the picture of, of setting a broken or dislocated bone back into place. You're helping to do that. And it's the picture of a net. It's the picture of, of they take these fishing nets and you mend them that are torn. Okay, that they're torn and you come and mend them. And that's the type of restoration that... that Paul is saying the church is to do. So it's like this. I'm driving down the road. I see somebody that's on the side of the road and, and their tire is flat. They can't go anywhere. And so I, I go alongside and I help them. I do everything I can so that they can get back on the road. I, I help them either fix their flat or get the spare on so they could go to a place and get that, that flat fixed. It's the same idea as we're living as a family together, doing life together. If we recognize someone is on the right side of the road and their tire is flat, we don't just walk by and say, hey, good luck with that. No, we, we come alongside them and we do everything we can to help them with their breakdown, their, their burden, and we try to get them back on the road to a place that is good, to a place that is godly and right. And that's what Paul is saying, I want you to do. You might be thinking, hey, I'll sign up for helping somebody who's maybe walking through some grief and have lost a, a loved one. I'll help with that. But this idea of helping someone who's been caught in sin, I'm out, man. I'm out. There's no out clause. There's nothing here that says, check yes or no. Right? I mean, there's no, if you want to do this, check yes. No, Paul says, the body of Christ, this is now your vocation. All right? The vocation. So Christianity is not vacation, it's vocation, right? We have a vocation, and it's to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside, yes, help the grieving ones, yes, but to also help the ones who are caught in sin. And so let me give you a few points of, of bear, uh, burden bearing this morning. First of all, God's our model, right? He has done this for us. And he continues to do it for us. And he continues to invite us to come to him and cast our burdens upon him. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. God has taken our greatest burden. Psalm 81, 6 says that he has shouldered for us the burden. He has taken the brick load from our hands and set us free. That's what God has done for us and he continues to do that for us and he wants the church to be that to each other just as he is to us. Now as we bear one another's burdens like God has modeled for us, we know that ultimately Christ is the only one who can forgive. Christ is the only one who can repair the breakdown of sin. Our job is to come alongside and to warn our job is to come alongside and to correct. Whether it's with a gentle word of counsel for someone who has an attitude or maybe a habit or an action or some plans that are wrong. We come alongside just as God has done and, and help bear that burden. 
The second thing is we bear burdens with the word of God. And this is huge. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. We obviously want the word of God richly in us so that we're joyful and we're enjoying our relationship with God, but also so we can be used. And so the word of God becomes wisdom that we hold out to others to teach them and to speak a word of counsel to them when they're not thinking rightly. You see, Psalm 119.45 says this about the word of God. It says, I will walk in liberty or freedom for I seek your precepts. What does the word of God do? It opens our hearts, it opens our eyes and our minds to what God says, and it frees us from our smallness of mind and our smallness of thinking. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever maybe experienced maybe a dry season where maybe your devotion life and your time in the Word of God is just not there? And what happens is we begin to obviously not think like God, but our thinking becomes very small and limited. But when we read the Word of God, what happens? Our eyes start opening up. We become more alert and aware of the Lord and who he is and his presence in our life and what he wants and what is right. And that's what the word of God does. 1 Kings 4.29 says, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breath of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. That's what the word of God is. And so as those who are called to come alongside others and bear their burdens, we should be in the word of God and holding out the word of God and using the word of God to teach and admonish so that those who are caught in sin will have their eyes and their minds open to what is right so that things get restored. The third thing is when it comes to bearing burdens is we don't add more weight. What I mean by this is we don't come alongside and, and, and add some kind of legalism to the thing. Start saying, well, then you got to start doing this and doing this and doing this, but yet it's not out of grace and it's not out of a biblical mindedness, but instead it's, we're asking them, we're calling them to do stuff, maybe to, to, to live this good life and then not to do bad anymore, but it's, no, we come with grace. And, and, and here's what I mean. In Luke 11, Jesus says, woe to you lawyers or religious leaders for you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So don't come in with the law. We've been set free from the law. But by grace, we, we come with the word of God. And we show them that, hey, this is, this is God's grace to you. That, that, hey, you can be restored. And you can get back on your feet again because of his grace. And start living according to his word. The fourth thing is we help bear burdens with prayer, with prayer. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares, cast your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. We model this and we pray with and for others this way. We pray. And then lastly, when it comes specifically to this bearing burden, we help them and sometimes that help is confronting. Oh, we don't like this. And I don't want any conflict. 
I definitely don't want to be the, the one who brings it on, right? We don't like this. But we're called to it. If it's to help pull somebody out of the pit of sin, we're called to even confront. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17 says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother, meaning you have restored him. That's the goal, right? The goal is restoration. It's not pointing sin out. That's not the goal. That's what the law does. The goal is restoring. That's what grace does. And so we come alongside to help our brother and sister back to a place that is good and right and godly. But if they don't listen, it says, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth or two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. This isn't to get a posse and go gang up on somebody, right? No. Again, the goal is reconciliation. The goal is restoration. If he refuses to them, to listen to them, tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And so this is a form of of discipline. It's loving discipline. The goal is love and to be restored eventually. And so again, restoration is the goal. That they would get right with the Lord and others who may be involved. And so that's how we bear burdens with those who are caught in sin. And I want you to hear this. Ultimately, our goal is this, that we point people to Jesus. And I was a, I was a young, I was 20. And here I am, I, I was called to, to, to serve middle school students. And, and that's like the land of piranhas, right? I mean, like how, how in the world, how in the world do you do that? And I remember getting a pencil and a piece of paper and, okay, go, go sit in this desk. And you're going to share an office with this guy and go love middle school students. I mean, that was my call. That was my mission. Go, go at it. Go get it. And I remember all of a sudden, these middle school students, and I, I, I loved them to death, but all of a sudden, they started coming up with all these issues and, and then parents with all these issues, and they started coming to me, and I'm like, good night. You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. And that was my answer a lot of times. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do that one. And I remember one day I was sitting listening to, to a gentleman. His name is Greg Mott. He's pastor at First Baptist Houston now. And I remember listening to him one day. And I, I love just his simple wisdom, his simple advice that he got. Because he was serving college students. And he was saying the same thing. I don't know what to tell these college students. And he got a word one day from somebody who said, All you have to do is point them to Jesus. That's it. And I, I thought, well, that's revolutionary. Someone write a book. They'll have one page. It's only the title page. Point people into Jesus. I'll buy that. And that's what I learned. It's just pointing people to Jesus. And so, man, if maybe, you, maybe you're timid and maybe you're fearful. And at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're pointing people back to Jesus as best we can with his help. And so we help as family members. A few more points before we go I want to show you. The the next thing is this, is we got to be wise family members though. We got to be wise, right? He says in verse 1, restore one caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual. I'll just sum this up real quick. If you read Galatians chapter 5, from about 18 till the end of chapter 5, you will define what I believe is spiritual. 
It's one who has the Spirit of Christ living in them. It's one who is led by the Spirit of Christ. It's one who walks according to the Spirit of Christ and has the fruit of the Spirit in them. He's saying you who are spiritual. So, so this isn't something that should be um, out of the norm for a Christian. This should be the norm. It shouldn't be something different. But it's one with spiritual wisdom, one with spiritual maturity who can restore such a one with gentleness while looking out for themselves so that they will not be tempted. So the fruit of the spirit of gentleness and the fruit of the spirit of what? Self-control. They have that. You don't want someone to come alongside to help someone and be tempted to go into that same sin that that person is having. You don't want someone to come alongside that same person and, and fall into that same sin with that person. So we must be wise, looking out for ourselves. And so Titus 2, I think, is a great place to go as a practical way to say, ladies help ladies, men help men. Are there going to be those times where maybe uh, a, men, uh, a man comes and is ministering to a family or, or helping a, a, a lady? And so in that case, a guy brings a guy with him to, to help minister, or maybe a, a lady is brought in that that lady knows and trusts and, and is brought in to help, but there's wisdom. It's a, it's a wise person who is helping we got to have wisdom. Not only that, we're open and transparent family. What I mean by this is sometimes the one who's caught in sin, it's not something that just comes public all the time and, and just that we know about. And so what does that mean? On the other side, that person who's caught in sin, they have to have vulnerability to come and share with someone. And so here's the thought is as a family, we have to be transparent. We have to be vulnerable. And what that means is we have to be filled with grace. Those who walk in the Spirit of God are filled with grace to where they listen. I mean, isn't that what we want as parents? We want our children to come to us and share with us. But to do that, we've got to build trust with them. We've got to listen and create an open atmosphere of communication. And as a family, we want that too. So those who are struggling, they come to us and say, hey, listen, I've got this. Will you help me through this? And then lastly, we're a humble family. A humble family. And this is so huge. When we're helping others, we do so humbly. Look at the last three verses and we'll wrap up here. Listen to what he says. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. You remember the mission of freedom, of being set free. Christ has set us free that through love we would serve one another. And it's never an opportunity for the flesh. It's never an opportunity for pride. And so when we come alongside somebody, we do so in a humble manner. That we never think for a moment, oh, man, look at their issues. As we're over here standing, we're thinking, we start comparing ourselves and their failures. And for some reason, we take a bit of pride in that. And where we're standing and where they're not. And Paul says, none of that. None of that. None whatsoever. Because honestly, without Christ, without Christ, we are morally, all of us, big fat zeros, right? 
We are. That's why Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? The whole idea is, who are you without Jesus? You help somebody in the power of God. You help somebody by the grace of God. You bring nothing except Jesus. <laughs> and he uses you. He's working in you and through you. So never think for a moment it's about you, but it's about God. And I would say this as well, too, is we've got to be careful with this. There's the assertive pride, but there's also the timid pride. And here's what timid pride can look like. It's this pride where we don't help somebody, where we get afraid. And you might be thinking in here this morning, well, well, I'm just not wired for that. And that's where it gets a little tough. Well, why do you say that? And some might say, well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Let me read a verse to you. Isaiah 51, 12 through 13. Listen to what God says. He says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. That's God. He says, who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, and of the son of man who's made like grass, and that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? And so what is he saying? Don't fear man, but fear God. And so here's what I would say. Be afraid of the harm that could come to the one who's caught in sin. Be afraid of what that can do to that person. And let the Lord help overcome any timidity that you have. Because remember what Paul tells Timothy. We've been given a spirit not of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so you might be saying, I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. Hey, I, I know introverts who are helping people every day. So we gotta make sure that that fear is not a timid form of pride because at the root of the fear of man is pride, is pride. And so we're all called to help. We're all called to help. Not to look and measure our value by the failures and the achievements of others, but humbly because he says, for each one will bear his own load, meaning this, we all, we all got junk we're dealing with, right? We all got burdens. And at the end of the day, when we stand in judgment, we're not gonna be judged and be able to say, well, hey, <laughs> I'm not as bad as this guy. Or, hey, I'm, I'm as good as that guy. No, it doesn't work. We've all got our same junk. We all do. And we all carry some sort of load. But when it comes to helping each other, we do so humbly and lovingly, just like Jesus has done for us. And so as a family, we help each other. We do so wisely as an open, loving family. And we do so humbly. So we come this morning <clears throat> to the time of communion. We remember that Christ is the great burden bearer. That he has gone to the cross and bore our sin upon himself, taking the penalty of that sin. It's costly. <laughs> I mean, burden bearing is costly. And it costs Jesus. This morning, if you're here and you've 
never trusted in Jesus to take the weight of sin, to bear that burden for you, I pray this morning that you would trust him, that you would believe that he is the son of God, that he came to die for you, and that he rose again on the third day, overcoming death, the enemy for you. And church, I pray that we would be burden bearers, helping one another, no matter the cost. Let's pray.